Welcome to Afterthoughts, everybody. This is our recommend or refute episode. We're going to go around the table and talk about something that we each watched separately this past week and whether we would recommend or refute it. So uh, with me is the normal cast of characters. John Garcia, how's it going? Hey, hey. Uh, it's going well. I am through the woods and over the river. Are to you at grandmother's grandma's house? house? I think. <laughs> What's going on, <laughs> I don't John? Know. Uh, Schlocktober has successfully rotted my brain, and I am ready for uh, the winter break. I've already watched a few good movies, and I am not bringing one of those to this. <laughs> uh, well, Sounds congratulations, right. <laughs> Thank John. Thank you. <laughs> um, glad that you're done with uh, this annual national nightmare that you have put us all through. Yes, <laughs> I'm glad to have done my civic duty for uh, society. <laughs> And Ryan King, how you doing? Good, good. Yeah, out of October and and watching horror movies, so I am back to watching uh, kids movies and shitty kids movies again. So especially as they start to get more and more school off, uh, it gets problematic around here. I would expect going through nothing every, less. Yeah. Plus the writer strike and and the acting strike has left nothing new on Netflix to watch. So we're uh. going back and watching old shit. Yeah, you get some time to catch up on the shitty shit before you get the new shit that's also <laughs> shitty. <laughs> so, hey, there you go. It's not like Netflix is running out of options. So, yeah. You know. <laughs> yeah. Uh, cool. John, what did you watch this week? What horrible schlock have you brought before us? Um, well, I, since I wrapped up Schlocktober, I wanted to bring one of the final movies that I watched because it was genuinely entertaining and I liked the concept of it. It didn't succeed in doing what I thought it was going to do, but I was very interested. Uh, the movie it's is called Death Row Game Show. It's time for Live or Die. Now here's the host and star of the show, Chuck Tobin. Nine three seven two. How you feeling? I'm a little nervous, Chuck. Before you lose your head, we'll give you a chance to win some money for your family. Well, I never thought he'd amount to anything. Here we go. Welcome to the wonderful world of. Death Row Game Show. Anyone on Death Row can be a contestant. Man or woman, young or old, I do not discriminate. There are people out there who hate me. There are people in here who hate you too. It's a 1987 um, dark comedy, and I do mean dark as fuck comedy because it it's sounds all about a game show in the future. It's kind of the present where literally... Um, this dude, the main character, he is the host of the Death Row game show where they bring a bunch of people who are on Death Row to play games on the game show in a similar fashion to any other game show you've seen on television. So like it cold opens with a man's head in a guillotine and they're like, all right, for your life, tell us, what is this classic movie? And then they show a clip <laughs> and, it's, and it's a mummy who's trying to like attack a woman and she gets away and the mummy just starts going, fuck, man, I was so close, dude. Fuck, man. And the guy's like, oh, fuck, I know this one. Um, it's and they're like, oh, sorry, you ran out of time. And they've, they're like, he's like, it was curses of the mummy. Uh, and I was like, great, great gag to solid to start it off with. And then immediately they shift into now you get the bonus round. If the guillotine cuts your head off and you can have your face land face up, you get $10,000 to your family. Oh my God. And like his wife is in the audience and she's like, finally, he's going to be worth something. And it's just like, Jesus Christ, this movie was fucking off to the races and super dark. <laughs> the rest of it is just finding excuses to do the game show and to do really fucked up shit. Um, I couldn't figure out for uh, about an hour of the film if it was going to go anywhere. Like if there was going to be 
some deeper subtext where the game show host realizes that what he's doing is completely fucked up, that he's part of a system that's exploiting um, the prison system, that's also exploiting the death penalty. That's like, if it was going to try to politically say anything, but it, after about an hour of watching it um, and some of the sleazy parts that happened and some of the goofy gags that happened, I just realized it was a bunch of people just fucking around making a dark as fuck movie for the laughs. And so um, I, I was disappointed by that. I, I was really sad that it didn't turn into anything with like a true arc um, because he the, the main character still goes through the arc of giving up his game show host spot. He like doesn't want to do it anymore. And it heart, it opens with everybody yelling at him that he's a piece of shit. And like everybody in the street is like, fuck you. You have a terrible show. You're a terrible person. And the only reason at the end of it that he gives it all up is so that he can date a woman who has been like, you're a piece of shit and I hate you. And you, yeah, you're terrible what you do. And he doesn't realize that he was wrong. He just realizes that she's way hotter than his job could ever no. afford him to be with somebody, I guess. I don't fucking know. Um, they fall in with like a mobster crowd. This mobster comes to try to kill him. And it becomes this game of cat and mouse that's played for laughs where like the mobster is just like, I won't kill you if, you know, you get my mom on this other show. She really likes this other show that's run by your studio. And of course, the mom comes in and is dressed in like prison garb, like the the stereotypical stripes. And she's like, I, do you think that they'll like my costume? And I'm like, I get it. This gag, they're going to get her on the show. She's going to get murdered somehow. And then this mobster is going to try to kill this guy. And that's exactly what happens. Um, it's like every joke in between was kind of funny and I really just wanted it to have more teeth. It, it felt like watching extended television in the RoboCop universe, like mm. that oh, kind yeah. of like I'd buy that for a dollar kind of shit where you're like, what the fuck? Why the fuck is anybody watching this? Who the fuck likes, but like even the people who hated it, I thought there was commentary in it too, because they were like, I fucking hate your show. I hate you. I've been watching your show for two years and I fucking hate it. It's awful. It's yeah. like, why do you keep watching my show? <laughs> that kind of oh, shit. It's, uh... Every yeah. WWE fan. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Exactly. Um, so yeah, I, I'd be lying if I said I didn't enjoy it and have a good time. I did laugh quite a bit. And I was like, there's so much here that could have been something better that could have said something. And I kind of secretly hope somebody out there will watch it and be like, I could remake this and I could make this actually better. And I could make this something that's biting and has a lot more to criticize in the prison industry. But um, as it stands now, it's just, it's one of those like more bottom tier kind of goofy gag movies where you're like, all right, this is just mindless, uh, dumb shit that they line up. It's like schlock. I started the movie with the movie schlock and that was the exact same vibe <laughs> of just like doing funny shit for the sake of it. And this was like a much darker version of that. So interesting. Uh, don't you think that like, it sounds like what you're saying that the, the movie just based on the premise is commentary on society, right? Like there is something there that it's trying to say, like, you know, humanity and like the history of like gladiator fights or like, um, you know, even like football or, or, you know, something like that, you could kind of compare it to that, how we as a society thrive off the pain and suffering of others who we view as, as less than us, or, um, you know, the, just kind of the fucked up nature of our entertainment in general. Um, is it like just only kind of saying that in pointing the camera at it and not trying to kind of make you feel bad about it? Or like, where's, Where's the more depth that you you want to see there? Yeah, it, it really is just pointing the camera at something that was like, this would be fun. It, that, that's where like the delineation happened for me was, you know, halfway through, I tried to figure out, is it really trying to say anything? Because it's exposing a lot of that. It, it mm. really does seem like there's all these opportunities for not just death row, but like incarcerated people to be exploited 
and for that to be exposed in like a darkly comedic way. And here the gag just became how creative can we make this game show? Like how shocking can we make this? Um, And then it didn't really say too much beyond it because again, it's main character. His redemptive arc is he gives up the game show life because he wants to marry a hot woman. And uh, (laughs) that's like that piece. And then even in the moments where they have death, they don't show like the family is saying really dark shit like, oh, my God, you know, he's finally going to be worth something to me. They don't show like the traumatized individuals behind the scenes. They talk about people that are like, your show sucks and I hate you. The only reason that a hit is put on the main character is because he executes a mob boss on live television who is in death row. And he does it in a way that it's like a gay joke. They do a gay joke. To, to have him execute. He's like, all right, we're going to have our, our, you know, Vanna White basically come out and do a strip tease for you. And if you get a boner, you get electrified. Oh and he gosh. doesn't get a boner until the host touches him and is like, well, you've made it through the round. And the moment that he touches him, that guy's like, oh God. And then just like fucking explodes. And uh, I was like, all right, that was a fucking choice. And it even has a director intro on the Blu-ray that is possibly one of the funniest intros because it's like 10 seconds in what looks like probably a waffle house and the director is like this is a movie that uh we made um i made it with the uh, you know a good group of people that i know and we were a lot younger and a lot dumber when we made it so i'm sorry um and uh enjoy <laughs> just fucking nice. goes right in nice. so i think that even he's kind of aware that like it doesn't have a whole lot to say it was just goofing around on camera and they had these bits they wanted to line up um but yeah it's a movie that uses sensational violence to entertain you. And the movie is using sensational violence to entertain you. <laughs> yes, exactly. And uh, there's not as much of like, uh, I don't know. I feel like towards the end, there could have been so much other things. Like they have this, uh, this chamber that they put people in for, they have a game where they put you in a box and they drain the oxygen out of it. And if you can use these little children's blocks to spell out, I want to live, then you can get out of the box and uh, simple premise. And they like, show a whole room where they just have all the bodies from that. And like the only reason they show that room is because the one guy they try to like suffocate, he wakes up and it's the mob mobster who's trying to like hit the guy. He's trying to do the job. So he's like, Oh, I'm going to kill him. He tried to kill me. And that's like the only thing that they show. They don't really show beyond that, like where these bodies go or if there's like other family members impacted or that, like they never really try to like walk back some of those darker tones. So it, I don't know for me, it just, there's so much more it could have done with the latter half. Also, I didn't even mention that there's like a boob fantasy that the main character has that interrupts the whole movie where he just right. is like, this woman is just like, just take me now. And he's like, all right. And he just like rips her shirt open and is feeling her boobs on like a desk. Typical schlock. And that's the uh, free, that's the free spot on the bingo card. Yeah. 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 And then it like, it like does like the dream f- filter and it goes back to him and he's daydreaming clearly right in front of her. And she's like, what the fuck are you thinking about? And he's like, nothing, move on. Like it just does that. So like, it'll do those bits where you're like, yeah, this movie doesn't have much to say. Like, I'm yeah, just being fucking goofy gags from from like a boomer. Yeah, I guess Running Man's not necessarily a great movie, but it does have some of the commentary, right? Of like mm-hmm. the government using the violence to distract from its corruption. Yeah, uh, the system, you know, supposed to be punishing guilty people, but we see it's mainly punishing people who are just problematic to the government, and then the audience is told like. Oh, once they get through the system, they're okay, right? Like this is a good system. We have it for a reason. Um, but no, everybody dies. <laughs> yeah. 
It reminds me of a, a movie that I really loved in college uh, called Death Race with Jason Statham. <laughs> did, you, did you guys see that? I've, I've not seen that one. I watched it a ton when I was in college, and I haven't watched it since then. But it's like a you know a dystopian future where they have prisoners do this like massive NASCAR race, and everybody bets money on it, and the cars have like weapons that come out of them, and they're like killing the other drivers for sports and. Uh, it's great. It's a lot of fun. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good time. <laughs> At least like 20 year old me loved it. Um, yeah. So not a lot of substance to it. A lot of funny, dark gags, shock humor. And that was something that like, I just didn't really know how much of that was going to be in it. I thought it would might be a lot more. It's also pretty like decent for the budget. It has the sets and like everything that they've pulled together really solid. And they sell this world of like, complete absurd maximalist exploitation of of the prison system but um yeah just the fact that the characters were so hollow uh it, it left me wanting um a lot more the the mobster even like he's just a slob and that's like a joke that's played up constantly is like no matter what he does he's like in a bathroom shitting with the door open and telling people about how big the shits are <laughs> and he, he goes yeah. next door and he's like there's an italian restaurant he like abducts a woman and takes her there and is like having her on a date and he's talking about how he wants to marry her because he got to bring a girl home for mom and like just eating as much pasta and getting all the spaghetti sauce on his shirt and it's just like this isn't really a great gag like i'm not having a fun time with this part of the movie anymore um yeah so it's just like okay but I, well, I would, uh, if that, that brings me to what I'd recommend it or refute it. And I, I'm like really, really on the fence on this one, but I feel oh. like I'm going to refute it. Um, just because it doesn't, it has like that humor that like your dad would show you and be like, isn't this funny? And I think that mentally I was watching it with my dad when I watched it. Cause I was like, <laughs> okay, yeah, some of these things I could see them being funny, but then it would get to like a stretch of 10 minutes where I was like, no, not doing it for me. Not right now. Sorry. Um, I was way more into the, the, the premise and the promise that it had than I was into the actual movie, but hopefully somebody remakes it and does a better job and does something with it or sees it and is inspired to, to do that. I, I'd be really rad to see that story explored a lot more. Cool. Uh, Ryan, what do you got for us? My daughter has been homesick and uh, she and my wife have been crawling through DC and Marvel movies uh, <laughs> all, oh, the, all no. the last few days, last like three, four days. Uh, and I try to squeeze in something else like oh, something new. So I had something to talk about. Um, so I watched Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles colon uh, Mutant Mayhem, which came out this year. Boys, where have you been? <laughs> We're just running errands. That's it. Look, we're really sorry, Splinter. Some of the guys wanted to get pizza and I tried to talk them out of it. Leo! You ratted us out. Hey, don't use that word that way. I mean, it's 2023. Sorry, right Dad. <laughs> Hey, guys, if we weren't monsters that were shunned by society and we could do what we wanted, what would you guys do? Go to high school. Maybe get a girlfriend. Can you imagine that? Not likely. Police are baffled by the recent crime wave led by a superfly. We take out superfly, and then everyone will think we're cool. They'll accept us. We can't stop him. We gotta try. Enough talk! I dream about fighting every night! You've got a rage problem, oh, right? It's not a problem! I heard some decent things about it. It kind of flew under the radar. It made money because kids' movies make money um, enough that I, I, I think it has a sequel in production 
Probably. It might be the kind of thing that ends up in production hell. It's mm. hard to tell. Um, and I kind of I kind of already look back on animation throughout the years. We get to the end of the year. I kind of want to see where I, I felt like this one fit in. Um, and I was, you know, honestly, pleasantly, maybe not necessarily surprised, but like pleasant, pleased with the movie, I guess. Um, and my family all enjoyed it. I will say after all of the movies and TV shows that my daughter had been watching the last three days, I threw in this and she tried to veto it and she got <laughs> put down three to three, to, three to one that like, we're going to watch it. The, uh, my son and wife were like, maybe's. And that was enough, I guess, to overrule <laughs> uh, her hard no. And that, and then towards the end of the movie, the turtles are like in actual peril you know, and something's hap- you know, going to happen to them or whatever. And she's actually sitting there like tense, like, oh, no, or whatever. And I was like, oh, now you care about them. And she's like, I didn't know the movie was going to be good. <laughs> I thought it was going to be bad. So that that at least gives you, you know, an, an idea of, of what this is. Um, it is interesting because it's very stylized and it's kind of following the, and this is Nickelodeon Studios. So Paramount is the the company. It's following some of the Mitchells versus the Machines and Spider-Verse blending CG animation with some hand-drawn things and a lot of stylized shots to try to give it just a completely unique look. It's a lot of like scribbles and scratches that are kind of on everything. Like every light source has like like doodles in it essentially Mm. to make it look like it's kind of like drawn on there. And so, yeah, there's a lot of little things like that. The All the humans are, like, really ugly. I don't know why, but all the cops have, face. like, misshapen <laughs> heads. Yeah, it was kind of an odd choice. Um, other than, like, April O'Neil, who's mostly normal, like, everyone else is weird. Um, the Turtles, I would say, this is, like, the furthest from Eastman and Laird I think I've ever seen the Ninja Turtles. Um, because I will say the Michael Bay Turtles have all of the, like, we're dark, man. Look at how dark we are of mm-hmm. <laughs> Eastman and Laird comics. But original comics, it was black and white. It tended to be much more about just kind of like the action of violence. And you couldn't tell the difference between any of the turtles, the way that the cartoon gave you, you know, what you needed in the 90s to buy toys, some like clear character archetypes and color schemes and all that. Here, each of the turtles even has a really stylized like body profile and elements on them that make them stand out even more. They're very much played as kind of stupid-ish teenagers. They're pretty terrible at everything they do. This is like the early James Bond or the Batman. They kind of like fail at everything as they go and like somehow manage to barely succeed. Um, <laughs> so you like, you know, Raphael is bigger like a lot bigger than the other ones he like stands a little bit taller and he's much broader uh and he's missing a couple teeth uh donatello is like a little bit leaner he has glasses which i was trying to figure out how splinter got got glasses or got (laughs) prescriptions or whatever but then (laughs) hold on michelangelo has braces so i don't even that was i was like okay i could figure out how he got glasses but i don't know how he learned dentistry (laughs) and orthodontics um yeah, Smart so then rat, Michelangelo is like shorter and a little bit like wirier, and then Leonardo's kind of like regular-ish, I guess, <laughs> against all these other crazy archetypes. Regular build. <laughs> yeah, yeah, regular-ish. And e- even within it, like Donatello has like stickers all over his bow, like that mm-hmm. he's stuck on from things, right? Kind of like his style, right, that he's bringing to it. 
And so it was like interesting to see how much personality they were giving them just in character design um, to kind of differentiate from the other things. And then obviously we have like just the style of it with all the sketchiness and, and, and all that that really gave it something else. So I think just that it's visually very interesting. Um, it really is focusing on this. The turtles like want to be out in humanity, but know that like they're monsters, they're weird looking. Um, but they're still obsessed with trying to do it. And they have this idea of like, Oh, if we become heroes, like people would like us for being heroes and then they'll accept us. And their end goal is to get to go to high school. Like that's yeah. <laughs> their, that's their aspiration. <laughs> yeah. Um, find they, they end up finding out that there are other mutants that are around that they didn't know about because like the open to this is that the guy who's developing the ooze, he's actually already made like, you know, the other characters that you probably know, like Rocksteady and Bebop, but also the ones that are even less remembered, like the fucking crocodile and the manta ray and shit like they're all out there um and then they drop the ooze and the turtles get made but they don't know about all that and so the other mutants essentially are wanting to uh turn everything into mutants and then that way humans will die or become it's slaves like or the pets x-men or plot like it's yes like magneto's. yes it's magneto's plan <laughs> <laughs> if everyone's mutants then no one is special yeah um yeah i guess uh, and the, and the turtles have this like soft spot, I guess, for humans for no particular reason other than, I guess, always wanted wrong to, to, to kill all of them. Yeah. They want to be, so they want to be part of it. Why don't they want to fit um, in with other turtles? Yeah. Yeah. I guess they do. I guess they're just accepted by other turtles, you hmm. know, or as far as you can tell, you're accepted by other turtles. Are they turtles? Or are they tortoises? That's never been clear to me either. Um, <laughs> So yeah, overall, it's it, it's one of those you can you know where it's going. Like kind of all of the beats are there. You know where it's going. It has its little funny moments. There are definitely things that kind of made me laugh. It has this running gag about how Splinter is afraid that they're going to get milked. He's like, the humans are going to get you. They're going to take you to the laboratory and they're going to milk you. Like that's always <laughs> that's like his threat. whole fear. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Oh my god. And, yeah, and it's like several times the the turtles will be like, "We don't have nipples." Like I don't know what you think is going to happen. <laughs> uh, and, and it's it pays off. So it's like a good gag to have a running gag and then have it like come back and then actually pay off well. Um, so like it it I appreciated that. Like it actually you know did that well to where I could enjoy it. So it's you know it's a good pass. It's not an excellent movie. It's not a go out of your way. You have to see this. As far as like Ninja Turtles stuff goes, the only other thing I've watched of Ninja Turtles that I like legitimately liked was the 2007 movie, EMNT, as the one that isn't Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles colon something. Yeah. Uh, just <laughs> TMNT, because it actually kind of nailed having some characters, some characterization, like growth, like all that kind of stuff. And was, you know, it, it was right in between, uh, you know, I don't know exactly how literally between, but between the like, live action and the cartoons that were kind of like over the top and really were just there to sell shit and Michael Bay's over the top in a completely yeah. different and wrong direction. The 2007 movie kind of got like buried in there and there was some TV shows that kind of followed its pattern um, that I thought, you know, were enjoyable. And this, I hope kind of starts something to kind of follow the theme. I don't know that, again that I'm like going to, look out for it to be like oh here's the other teenage mutant ninja turtle movies coming out like i am for spider-verse like i cannot fucking wait um for the next one of those uh but you know maybe it's like maybe they could build on it and get something that does get to a really strong story and you can kind of put aside the stupidity of like what the characters are um so it's like a good 
a goodish starting point. So I give it like a pass, a recommend. Yeah. I I saw this movie as well. I saw it in theaters and yeah, I liked a lot of the details in each frame. It definitely is something that like you can tell that the artists have put a lot of care into arranging like villain lair and hero lair and like all these other places. They go to establishments where like anything can kind of be used in a fight and it ends up being picked up. And there's sort of this fluidity that you're like, it's not just punching with fists or the turtles using their weapons all the time. There is this um, anywhere they go. Yeah, there's it's a lot kind of, of like, like a kinetic usage of the environment. Throwing wrenches and chairs yeah, and yeah, kicking things into people. And there's, really yeah, there's a whole like, they're inside a garage and there's a whole thing where the guy with the car keeps trying to run him over and then he's hitting other stuff and then he starts like going in circles like he gets stuck looping like Tokyo drifting around them as they say <laughs> yeah <laughs> and uh yeah like I appreciated those parts of it but I think I'm just so like burnt out on turtles storylines of wanting to belong mm-hmm. and be part of like human society that I'm just like can we just get past that yeah. and start where the humans have already accepted them to some degree and we just move on and and do some other story <laughs> I would I would much prefer that to let's find our home and our family again for like the fucking eighth time and whatever movie iteration they, they go through. Um, Maybe we're almost there. Cause we now we've, we finally learned we don't have to kill uncle Ben and Batman's <laughs> parents. Like we can just get started. Yes, <laughs> that's exactly right. So you want the world where like they've been accepted by humanity and now they are being like used by the federal government to go and force <laughs> terrible things on minority groups or something yeah you know? espionage yeah. in foreign countries <laughs> uh-huh. <Yeah>. yes <laughs> that's exactly or i'd mm. like to see you know like like uh what is it there's that other there's that video game battletoads dixon i don't know if you ever played that no. but uh it's basically like it was a response to teenage mutant ninja turtles there was like a battletoads game where it was about three toads and they were all like really in your face 90s like rash and pimple and like some other shit was yeah, there. Names, yeah and you're just like all right Uh, And they made a modern iteration of that game where they like it literally starts with one of them has a desk job and it's just you pushing keys and sending emails to Susan. And he's like, I fucking hate this job. I wish I could do anything other than this. And that's how it starts. And I'm like, I want the turtles to have terrible corporate jobs and like be like, this is not what we wanted. Do you guys remember when we lived in the sewer? That was way better than this fucking trash. And they let them go back to their glory days. Yeah, yeah, get the band back together. I would love to see those arcs, the existential crisis of now you fit in with human society, see how <laughs> shitty it is. <laughs> um, so I did not see this. It's it's written by Seth Rogen and Evan Goldberg. Uh, John, you mentioned that they were kind of telling the same story that some of the previous movies have. Did did the script feel better or more interesting than any previous, uh, you know, turtle movies? It's it is pretty much paint by the numbers like that it's for kids you know so it's Mm. clear like okay they're gonna do the thing and then be heroes and be accepted and go to high school like we told you at the beginning and there's not really gonna be this like there is some like character growth but it's kind of what you expect splinter is constantly telling them don't go anywhere out with the humans and then he learns like it's okay and he sees the bad that he was doing by holding them back right like kind of like what you would expect kind of the regular beats uh, something that shows through, I think, in the writing is that it really hits the like pop references hard. I think because it's like these are teenagers, like it really is trying to be like, hey, these are teenagers and this is kind of how teenagers talk. It ends up being it's a little bit more like this is how Kevin Smith talks. Um, mm-hmm. But like, you know, there is the like, they say sus and they say Riz a couple of times. Um, I'm not sure if 
it's like correctly written or just there to be like, that's what kids say these days. And then there's just a bunch of like movie, video game, like whatever references that are kind of just like thrown in for stuff. They watch Ferris Bueller, like straight up watch Ferris Bueller and get shots of Ferris Bueller at one point. Like <laughs> are, animated like, Ferris Bueller? Or no, they just show no, just straight up Ferris Bueller. <laughs> they go to this, they, there's like a movie in the park and it's Ferris Bueller and it's the scene where he's like taking over the parade. And they're like, see, when you get to high school, you can just take over parades anytime you want. It's awesome. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, I felt like some of the jokes were really punchy too. Like they just land really well. There were some gags that were pretty great. And like, yeah, April O'Neil has. Um, it's also like interesting <laughs> because I don't think I've ever seen another Turtles iteration where April O'Neil isn't as confident or in her own element. Like in any other movie or show, she's already like a journalist. She's already, she's already reporting. She's, already, yeah. she's doing all that. But in this one, she's like a teen in high school who's part of the AV club. But and she wants to be a hard hitting journalist, but she has terrible stage fright and is afraid mm. of being on camera. And it makes her really nauseous when she's on camera. Just Why doesn't she people. try to become a print journalist? Yeah, that's right? what she Why starts doing. She's like, yeah, she goes, I'm just going to do. Yeah, they tell her they're like, oh, you could be on TV. She's like, no, I'm not going to do that. I am going to just do. Print <laughs> I'm just going to do. Yeah. So it's kind of yeah. like her arc is like finding transitioning from print to like being on camera and actually needing to like the moment calls for her to be on camera. And she has to like rise to that kind of occasion. You can tell it's. It's going to go there, but it's still like something I haven't seen in the Turtles um, yeah. like stories told. So it was nice to have that kind of vulnerability in a character that's usually just one note. She's always there because she hangs out with the Turtles and she's there to be shocked that they're Turtles. Need a human liaison. Yeah. <laughs> so. Cool. So, Ryan, you were recommending this. Yeah, I recommend it. Yeah, I think that like kids will absolutely enjoy it. And like even people who are iffy on Ninja Turtles will probably have fun with it because it, it is funny and it's really an interesting style and, and you know how it's stylized um so yeah it's a recommend yeah. cool does it make the like top five animated movies this year probably not <laughs> right now fire them off rapid fire top five animated <laughs> movies of the year go dude spider-verse is so fucking good i watched that again it's all five of them <laughs> i said rapid fire ryan <laughs> he said it's all five <laughs> and miyazaki does have a movie coming out in december that i'll need he does see, so yeah. I'm waiting, i kind of I'm, I'm waiting on that mm-hmm. yeah Cool. So it's just going to be those two repeated a few times. Yeah, it's, pretty yeah. Much, it's like mostly Spider-Verse back and yeah. forth. I don't know. I don't have high hopes for Wish or whatever the fuck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Cool. Uh, so I am going to talk about a movie that I saw at Austin Film Festival this past week. Uh, Austin Film Festival happens every October, like the last week of the month. And it's a festival I always enjoy. Um it's very different than South by Southwest, where South by is pretty much all new movies premiering there with some that have premiered at Sundance and are getting shown again at South by. But it's a, it's a lot of new stuff. And the quality is overall pretty solid at what you're going to see at South by. With Austin Film Festival, you have kind of two types of movies. Um, on the one hand, you have movies that have premiered at international festivals already, such as Toronto or Cannes or Venice, and that have gotten a lot of acclaim there and then are showing here in Austin at Austin Film Festival before they go out to theaters. They already have distribution at this point. They've been picked up and um, you know they're going to get a theatrical run. The other type of movies are very small independent things that are premiering at Austin Film Festival that are probably never going to see the light of day beyond the festival. And, you know, one out of every five of those is really incredible. And you're like, oh man, I'll never be able to see that again. And four out of the five are like, eh, 
I see why that didn't premiere at another film festival and it, it premiered here. Um, there's also the last couple of years, there's been a very small middle group that's growing a little bit on stuff that is premiering at Austin Film Festival, but that is actually pretty solid and, and you know, might have a chance to get a life on streaming. But the movie that I watched that I want to talk about uh, is called Fingernails. Have you guys taken the test? Yeah, three years ago. We were positive. Felt like a weight had been lifted. I founded this institute to take the risk out of love. No more uncertainty, no more wondering if you've chosen the right partner, no more divorce. We were the first to build the machines to conduct the test, to make the bond of love stronger. Can I ask you something? Why do you work at the institute? Maybe you understand love a little better. I think it's normal to get into a, a bit of a routine. I think relationships should be worked on every day. I was wondering if it was possible that one person could be in love with two people at the same time. It's a biological impossibility. Yeah, that's what I thought too. I need to tell you something. That I believe is now available on Apple TV Plus if you have that. And if you are lucky, it may be showing theatrically in your town. Um, Fingernails is written and directed by Christos Niku. I'm not familiar with his work. Uh, it's the first film that I've seen of his. Uh, but it stars Jesse Buckley and Riz Ahmed. So I was really excited to go see it because I, I really enjoy both of those actors. We obviously talked about uh, Sound of Metal on this podcast a month or two ago, and, and we all you know, gushed about how, how good Riz Ahmed was in that. Um, Jesse Buckley plays the lead. Her name is Anna. She is uh, in a serious relationship with Ryan, played by Jeremy Allen White. And they are, you know, they've been in a serious relationship for a while. They live together, and things feel a little bit complacent. And um, Anna seems to want more out of their relationship, and Ryan seems very content with, with where things are and not really looking to um, kind of further what they're doing. They live in a kind of a dystopian present where there is a company that has developed a love test, um, not like the arcade love tester where you like grab the thing and it tells you you're a dead fish or whatever, but um, the, the way this test is conducted is you and your romantic partner go into a facility and you have a fingernail removed, not like trim the fingernail. They put some pliers on the end of your fingernail and yank the fuck out of it and pull it out of your finger. And yes. they, <laughs> uh, they put, you know, your two fingernails in these little dishes and in this microwave type machine and run a test. And the test either returns 0%, 50% or 100%. Uh, if it's 0%, that means neither of you love each other. If it's 100%, that means both of you love each other. If it is 50%, that means one person loves the other, the other person does not. But the test is not skillful enough to determine which person that is. So uh, kind of a weird sci-fi concept. doesn't really make a lot of sense when you pull it apart. But I think it's a very interesting construct for this movie and kind of delving into relationships and, and how they work. Um, Anna and Ryan are one of the lucky couples who has actually gotten a positive test result. They got a 100% test, and this was a few years ago. And the, the positive test rates for couples is like 13%. So most couples get 0% or 50%. And then basically most couples in this society have kind of decided, well, if we don't get 100%, then we're not meant for each other. And we just need to go our separate ways and try to find somebody who we're compatible with and that we can be with long term. Um, 
Occasionally throughout the film, you'll see somebody with a bandage on their finger, like out in society, and that means that they have just gotten tested. And depending on whether they seem happy or super depressed, you kind of know how that went for them. Uh, there are also some other couples that have decided, eh, I don't really think that's for me. Like, that sounds, uh, you know, I'd rather just figure life out on my own and not, you know, kind of do whatever the test tells me to do. Uh, so Anna has recently been let go from her job as an elementary school teacher. The school closed down, and so she's applying around to other jobs and, uh, you know, mostly is looking at schools, but ends up applying for a job at the Love Institute, which is a somewhat new uh, institution that is has bought some testing machines, and they are developing exercises for couples to perform together in order to establish a bond of love between the couples. So different types of trust exercises and different things like that. And she is really fascinated by this idea and applies there. Um, Luke Wilson is uh, plays the guy who runs the uh, the love facility, and she ends up getting hired there and. Um, trains with Riz Ahmed's character, uh, whose name is Amir. And so she is kind of shadowing him as he is you know, working these classes with these couples and trying to get them trained. And so, you know, they're working with these couples for, you know, four or five, six weeks. They're doing all these exercises. They're trying to get there. And then they perform the tests on these couples. And, and sometimes they pass and sometimes they don't. And, um, you know, so they, Jesse Buckley's character gets really invested in some of these couples. And then, you know, she's, oh, you know, they they didn't they got a zero percent test they're not going to make it and it's hard for her to kind of adjust to that. Um, meanwhile, her and and Amir start to bond as they are working together and have some kind of affections for each other. So she's is kind of really interested in exploring that, and she likes spending time with Amir. Meanwhile, her relationship at home is not going that well, despite the fact that they have a positive test from a few years ago. So the the movie is really exploring kind of what it is to be in a relationship and, um, you know, why people stay together or what they need to see. Like, does it take some sort of outside affirmation or, um, you know, cultural, uh, you know, norm to stay with somebody or, you know, can you just say, fuck the test, I don't care and, and be in a relationship with somebody that you think is, is right for you or, or maybe engage in a relationship that maybe you do have some doubts about, but you want to take the risk and, you know, not worry about what the the test tells you to do. Um, this movie was was really well written and it's incredibly acted. Jesse Buckley and Riz Ahmed are are some of the best actors on the planet, and they do an, an incredible job and have really great chemistry together. Um, so yeah, I mean, I don't want to really give too much away of, of kind of how it develops, but it really is a character piece, kind of focusing on mostly these two people and kind of the worlds around them and using this sci-fi device to kind of explore relationships and, and what they mean and how different people think about and value them. If that was the option, I would a hundred percent be like, I'm waiting on 2.0 where it's like a little <laughs> bit less. Of they take the they cuticle. Take. They just like snip one off. Of yeah. The just clipper. a little. Yeah. yeah. It's it easier. Uh. <laughs> um, it's interesting when you started to tell the synopsis, I thought this was going to go like into lobster territory where there's oh, like a yeah, mandate yeah. of having to do this or something, but mm -hmm. it doesn't sound like there is any pressing need between Buckley and, and Ahmed to like be in a relationship to like pass a test or any of that. Is this much more of like a, is this like a slow burn? Is this more of a slow cinema thing where we just kind of see the relationship flourish in the sci-fi um, setting or is it a little more paced out? 
yeah, I wouldn't call it slow cinema. Like it, it is, it's definitely a character piece and it is more about the characters than it is about the plot points. But with the sci-fi premise, there is plot there and the things that are occurring that are, are kind of driving the story forward. Um, it's a lot of uh, kind of conflict internally with Jesse Buckley as she is dealing with a relationship at home that she is not thrilled about where it's going, but she has the affirmation from society that it's the right thing for her to do because she has the positive test result. Mm. Meanwhile, being attracted to Rizamed's character and wanting to explore that, but, but being worried about leaving what she has and, you know, wondering if it's possible for her to, you know, have a successful relationship with a different person. Um, she has a conversation with Luke Wilson at one point where she's like, is it possible to have a positive test with two people. And he's like, no, that's not possible. We've never seen that before. So, you know, everything around her is telling her that her comfortable relationship that she's always been in is the correct choice, but she's not sure if that's what she wants to do. Hmm. I think it's interesting giving it like a scientific angle of a story that you would normally have where two people that seemingly love each other, but the relationship doesn't work. Mm -hmm. you could always like look at it through the lens of like well maybe they didn't really you know maybe they didn't really love each other they weren't made for each other since it didn't work but giving it that sci-fi angle of like no they were in love that it is you know that but the relationship doesn't work is like an interesting yeah. setup yeah mm -hmm. yeah and I don't know, it's I think it's an interesting kind of analysis of, you know, I, I think sometimes it's easy to get in a relationship with someone because it's convenient or because um, you know, oh, you both like went to college together and you have like similar family backgrounds. You have the same religion or like you're into some of the same things. And then like all the people around you are like, oh, you're perfect together. You should definitely be together. And that doesn't necessarily mean that that's the right decision. Right. And I think it's, it's kind of using this scientific sci-fi aspect to approximate that. And, um, you know, like, like, uh, her boyfriend at home is, the same race that she is like kind of seems to be from the same socioeconomic background and you know Rizamad's character is a different race from a, a very different background different you know class upbringing and all of that and you know that's the you know oh well, I don't know if society is giving me the the rubber stamp on on this one so yeah it sounds like an interesting meditation on monogamy too and and sort of like yeah. the finality of a hey you found the one like this is it um, whereas most like relationships, friendships, uh, even, you know, beyond intimacy, just, they change, like you can't help it, but like day to day, you're a different person. Um, mm -hmm. so I, I'm interested to, to check this one out. So it's already on Apple TV right now. I believe it's on Apple TV plus yeah. right now. It's not like you can't rent it on Apple. I think you have to have an Apple have TV have plus subscription. subscription. There's free trials right, everybody. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's also pretty cheap. It's one of the cheaper streaming services. So like if you get it for a month and pay like eight bucks or whatever, like that's not bad to just even just watch one movie. Wait until Killers of the Flower Moon's on there. Uh, there you as go. Well, and then yeah, you go, yeah. go right through it. <laughs> um, and, and I would say the, I feel like this premise I've established makes you think the movie is going to end a certain, like I, I can hear myself saying this and think, oh yeah, definitely the movie's going to end a certain way. I think the movie is a little bit smarter and more complex than you think it's going to be given the premise of the film. And I think it's, it's worth watching and exploring these characters and engaging in the ideas that, that the movie uh, is putting in front of you. So. Nice. Um, I wanted to say I this is my first AFF I also got to go to. Dixon and you I did. got to watch a few movies. Um 
and it was it was a good time. I wanted if I could just hop on the AFF bandwagon real quick and do some shout outs. Seventy five dollars to go see as many movies as you want, so it's yeah, pretty cool. That's uh, so nice. You just you have know. to make sure you have the time, and then you're good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but yeah, like I, I went and saw like Dixon and I both uh, kind of uh, watched. We watched first. We bombed New Mexico. That was my first AFF film, and that was a heavy motherfucking film. Very heavy. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it was like. Yeah, I didn't expect it, but I, I wanted to shout that movie out. Um, there's legislation that's being put forward next year, 2024, uh, to to instate some restitution for the people of New Mexico who have suffered like egregious health concerns and like lineages now of death and cancer due to the nuclear testing um, with with fucking Oppenheimer and everything. Like, uh, it was it was a wild documentary that I highly recommend folks check out. Um, you know, it's gonna, it's gonna ruin your night. Just be aware. Yeah. And it's gonna make you mad, but, uh, John and I saw it and we walked out of the theater and he was like, what are you doing after this? And I was like, I don't know, man. Like I need to go decompress. I think I might just go home. Yeah. I like ended up just sitting in a dark room. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, I just can't. Uh, (laughs) I watched, what did I watch? The glimmer man that night for Schlocktober to bounce back some Steven Seagal to just balance out. (laughs) It was like, um, and then the other movie it comes out December 1st was uh, The Bike Riders. It's uh, Jeff Nichols' next film. Um, and he took a lot of influence from Goodfellas and oh, interesting. Uh, was really, he was fascinated by this um, this uh, book that was all photography. It was a photographer who took pictures of this biker gang and he rode with them. They became like the second most notorious gang since the Hells Angels. Um, that uh, So he fictionally based a, a biker gang off of them and kind of tells the story hmm. of like, taking it from just being a fun club about riding bikes to like how fucking off the rails it got in the sixties and seventies. And, uh, it's got a stellar cast. It's Austin Butler, Tom Hardy. Um, it, it's like just Michael amazing. Shannon, Michael because Shannon it's a Jeff Nichols it. movie. Michael yeah. Shannon Michael is Shannon is in it. it. Jodie Comer, who does like a phenomenal job. Love Jodie um, Comer. So yeah, I, I recommend that one too. December 1st. That's when it comes out in theaters. So go see it. Jeff Nichols was like, this is probably going to flop when it comes out. I was like, oh, Jeff, oh, buddy, no. no, I'm going to do everything I can, man. It's, it was fun. It was a great time. Like, Well, he's a very independent filmmaker. Like all, Pretty much all the movies that he's made have been very small. Um, I really like him as a director, and he hasn't made anything since 2016, I think. So I'm, I'm excited to check this out. And the last movie he made, Loving, I thought was not great. And yeah. he's made a bunch of really good stuff before that, like Midnight Special, um, take shelter is really good. Like there, he's made a lot of really good stuff. So I'm, I'm excited to see his, his new thing. Yeah. Um, he talked about, cause this one was on Di- Disney's bankroll, uh, like oh. they, they funded this. And so he talked about kind of like them helping in the editing process. Oh. Um, but it still ended up being very much like director's stamp of approval. He liked what came out of it. He was like, they didn't interfere too much. They helped me clean up some of the pacing and it was like, all right, cool. Disney didn't fuck up too much in this. Um, but I, I enjoyed it a good time that's cool you also saw one more movie at awesome film festival john with me uh, last straw yes which which i also really liked really liked yes um last straw which i also recommend it was a first time director i think uh wasn't it or was it like uh maybe first first time feature first time feature director i think was what it was um but that was like kind of like if you're into movies like you're next like those slasher films um where you know it all takes place in one area and there's like you know us versus them sort of situation going on it does a lot of subversive things to that particular plot line it's about like a teenage manager of a of a, a diner her dad leaves her in charge of the diner overnight and during the day she like some hoodlums come around and she's like get the fuck out of here i'm gonna call the cops she like you know tries to fake it then she's also making all of these hot-headed management decisions as a teen 
um, like firing people in the diner and like just causing all this kind of chaos. And so at night when like those teens come back, a lot kind of changes and there's like, you know, mass assailants and whatever, but it did a lot of stuff that I really liked technically. And I liked it from a story perspective. Dixon said while he watched it, he had a tiny Ryan moments where he was thinking like, that's not how that works, but there were that's other not how health insurance works. Yeah. I'm sorry. It's just not, <laughs> but there were other moments where like, it was just very upsetting. Like it really did a good job of being visceral and like just disturbing. Um, so yeah, last draw was good as well, but yeah. Cool. Go. Uh, all right. Well, that was a good, uh, recommender few. We got some extra punches in there with some, some extra awesome film festival movies. Um, highly recommend if you're in the area, check out awesome film festival. It's a lot of fun. Um, you know, you get to see some big, you know, big being like movies that are, were independent, but have already been picked up for distribution that might be in the Oscar conversation. Um, you know, you can see that stuff before it hits theaters, or also you can just go to something random like Last Straw and end up being, holy shit, that was really good. And like, you may not have an opportunity to ever see that again. Like it just may die and, and never go anywhere from Austin Film Festival. So it's kind of a cool lightning in a bottle uh, chance to see something that is just fascinating that you may otherwise not get to see. You may see some stuff that you don't like that's in the, in that category of films that are premiering at Austin Film Festival. But, um, I like the kind of, I don't know, thrift store aspect of it. You know, you're just kind of like going and seeing random things and, and seeing how they turn out. And sometimes you end up seeing something that's really good. So yeah. cool. Uh, well, I think that's going to wrap it up for us this week. We have a refute for Death Row Game, Death Game, Row Show. Game Show. Yeah. Uh, definitely uh, didn't forget the name of that movie. Uh, <laughs> and uh, Ryan has a recommend for Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles colon, colon. Mutant Mayhem. Yep, yeah. Cool. Yep. And I am recommending fingernails. So uh, thanks for, for joining this week with me, as always. Ryan King, Calvanga, that's what the Ninja Turtles say. They, I use, they say it with that exact they, enthusiasm. Yeah, that, yeah, that's one of those things where it's like they now embarrassingly put it in somewhere. <laughs> and John Garcia, I'm on my good movie kick for at least another few days, and then it's probably back into schlock, everybody. I just don't be believe you. We know. You're going to bring more schlock next week. We know it, John. <laughs>